0: You are listening to a White Ridge Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. Our Christmas tradition on Christmas Eve, uh, as a family, when the children were young, I had made this cradle out of wood, a uh, really rough hewn. I'd actually built two, one for the church in Thunder Bay and one for, for our home. And then um, what happened was that on, on the Christmas Eve, we had a, a baby, kind of a doll, and um, he was dressed in swaddling clothes, whatever that means. And, uh, and then we'd put him in the manger, just the last thing that Pat and I did Christmas Eve. You know, the stockings are up and the gifts are out under the tree and we've done everything else that has to be done. And then we'd put the baby in the manger so that the first thing in the morning when the kids got up and they ran downstairs, they had to walk run right by the manger and they saw the baby Jesus was here, that he's... he's He's born. He's alive. The Word became flesh. That's what the John, Gospel of John says. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And uh, that was an important tradition in our family. Uh, and then we would read the Christmas story and, uh, before we did all the other stuff. Another important tradition in our family would be on Good Friday. We would go as a family on Good Friday and we would go to a cemetery... And we would walk around and look at all the gravestones. And uh, you may think, well, that's an odd thing to do. But th- the point that we wanted to convey to the children was that, that these, these things were real. That there really was a baby born. And that God has told us to attach huge significance to that baby being born. And that same baby that went and lived for 33 years, one day died, was actually crucified on a cross. And God again said, you attach huge significance to that death. You see, because the significance and the meaning that you attach to that birth and that death are the most important two things about you the most important two things that you'll ever interpret in this world. What meaning you attached to the the birth of Jesus of Nazareth 2,000 years ago and his death 33 years later. You know, there was a story told about a a guard that was in a, a famous art gallery, and over and over again, the tourists would walk by and they would, they would, they would um, you know, look at this piece of art that he was stationed in one place to guard. And finally, at the end of the day, one time he was leaving off shift and someone said, so what are people saying about this piece of art? How are they judging it? And he just thought for a moment and he said to them right away, he said, you know, actually, they don't judge this piece of art, this piece of art. Judges them, And see, that's the way it is going to be at the end of the age. When Jesus Christ returns, we're going to think that there's all these opinions that are lined up about who Jesus is and what is Jesus judged to be and who. But really what in the end we're going to see is that Jesus has been judge of everyone who's ever sat in judgment of him. Because whether people believe it or not, whether people attach significance or not to it, This Jesus Christ is the eternal and only living God, sovereign over all of creation. And he invaded space and time and came down and was born as a baby. You can believe that or you cannot believe it. It doesn't change the fact that it's true. And then he grew up and he died and he rose again. You can believe that event or you cannot believe it. It doesn't change the fact that it's true. But one day, all of our lives are going to have to adjust to those huge, big, real, true truths. And we will be judged accordingly. That's what I want to speak about this morning. In John chapter 1, as I said earlier, we read John's approach to the Christmas story which is rather rather unorthodox of course not like uh, the rest of the gospel writers or at least Matthew and Luke and it says in the scriptures in John chapter 1 that in the beginning was the word and the word was with god and the word was god he was with god in the beginning Right away in the opening verses of John's gospel, we realize that John is kind of like the eagle flying up really high, looking down upon this from a more philosophical perspective. Not down on the earth, where, as Luke says, in the days when Crinius was governor of Syria, it was determined that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. Well, that's down on the earth, isn't it? But rather, John is up high like an eagle, looking down, and the Word of God became flesh and dwelt among us, it says in chapter 1, verse 14. That's the verse I'd like us to unpack a little bit this morning. The Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. We have seen His glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. The Word became flesh. Really? God eternal became flesh and blood. This was to the Greeks absolute foolishness. To the Jews it was a stumbling block, says in the Bible. Many people would say this, this cannot be. You can see everything that is associated with flesh is, is weak. You know, the Bible says my flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. The flesh counts for nothing, Paul says. The Bible says that all men are like grass and all their glory like the flowers of the field. All their flesh is as grass. What is grass like? Well, it's here today and gone tomorrow. Flesh is weak. Flesh is is susceptible to virus and infection and and accident and limitation. Why would God eternal become flesh? You see, the picture that God is given in Scripture, the Bible is not like the God that is presented to us in so many other world religions. And I won't name the world religions, but basically here are a few of the ways that God is presented, or the gods are presented to us in other world religions. Sometimes it is supposed to be a God who is disengaged from the human scene, who's, who's kind of up looking down, transcendent but not imminent not a God who is at the very middle of our conflicts and our darkness and our struggle as Jesus was and is not the idea of retreating from the world in some kind of monastic self renunciation not somehow trying to be detached from this world through some kind of transcendental meditation not trying to even build some kind of an earthly kingdom by whatever means it might take That's not the God that is presented in the Bible. Rather, Jesus is presented as the very incarnation, the embodiment of the everlasting God, communicating to a world that hungers for relationship, yearns for love, and showing such a love, so supreme, that it even is able to expel darkness with light. That's the God of the Scripture. That's what Jesus came to be. Matthew starts his gospel rather plainly says this is how the birth of Christ came about and then he explains it Luke as i said in those days Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken Paul goes into more terms of of theology when he says that in Philippians 2 that Jesus is in very nature god but he emptied himself and took the form of man In Colossians, he said that God was pleased to have all of his fullness dwell in him, in this baby. All of the fullness of God dwelling in this baby. The writer of Hebrews says, chapter 1, verse 3, that that this Jesus is the exact representation of God's being. It's incredible. The scriptures are standing on tiptoes trying to describe that that, that what we're reading is true, that this God, this eternal God, took on flesh and walked among us. Merrill Tenney has written this. He said, Jesus partook of flesh and blood with its limitations of space and time, with its physical handicaps of fatigue, hunger, and susceptibility to suffering so that he belongs to humanity as well as to God. The second part of that verse the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us, is the idea that, that he tabernacled among us. You could translate it. And of course, we, as soon as we hear the word tabernacle, we go back to the Old Testament where we just finished the series on Joshua where, where Moses or Joshua led the children of Israel and, and they were taught how to set up this tent in the middle of the camp of Israel with all 12 tribes surrounding it. And when they set up the tent, inside the tent was the Ark of the Covenant where the presence of the glory of God was. And so in the middle of his people, God tabernacled. He placed a tent in the middle of his people so that he dwelt among them. And that's what John is referring to here when he says that the word became flesh and he set up his tent among us for a temporary season he lived and dwelt among us that's the way the idea of tent is described and again we think about how the presence of the lord was not just this presence but it was a manifest presence in other words that there was glory that shone out from the presence of the ark when when god was in his tabernacle I mean, Moses could go in there and when he came out, his face was shining, had to put a veil over it. This Jesus came into our world and we not only saw him, but there was something about his presence that that glorified, that was glorious. It's interesting that as the New Testament authors go on in this, they, they develop the theme of temple that our that that then our bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit and that therefore the glory of Christ rests within us because we are now temples of the Holy Spirit. Well, the scriptures that uh, we see then describe one who has come among us and um, the scriptures describe that before this coming took place there was this incredible event of John the Baptist coming to announce the coming of the Lord. Luke goes into it perhaps a little bit more and in the Gospel of Luke we see that that before the Word was made flesh to dwell among us his coming had to be announced. Luke is the historian of the four Gospels. He's the one that wants to go into the more details of time and place and so in chapter 1 of Luke we see that he is very intent upon doing an orderly account of the things that took place. He, uh, he's famous for the, the term, it's only, it's only one word in Greek, but it, it means, and it came to pass. And you know, and it came to pass is to the world of history and nonfiction what once upon a time is to the world of fiction and fairy tale and fable. And it came to pass means that it really happened. It did come to pass. But once upon a time, as soon as I tell you that, you probably are wondering okay, this was a made up story or something. Whenever I did that with my children, if I started the story with once upon a time, they knew that I was referring to something that really wasn't true. But when Luke is talking 16 times in the birth narrative of Jesus, he says, and it came to pass. All the things that are happening historically, the the census and the trip by Joseph and Mary to Bethlehem and the wise men and the shepherds and everything that we're going to see dramatized this morning in the second service, it all came to pass. And it is vitally important for us that it did come to pass, that it really did happen, that the Word really did become flesh. He really did make His dwelling among us. And so when John comes preaching, he is preaching that which is true, that which did come to pass. And uh, we, we see in the scriptures this forerunner, John the Baptist, preparing a people to meet the Lord. And um, I want to read to you some of the ways that our lives are to reflect John the Baptist because we have this opportunity of announcing to people around us that this thing that came to pass. Our lives should somehow be like John the Baptist that, that point people to Jesus and recognize his reality. It's vital that we understand this. If we could tear back, <coughs> excuse me, if we could tear back everything else about the three-dimensional world that we live in and just tear back the curtains and look into the spiritual realm, we would see with fresh eyes the reality of the living God, Jesus Christ, who is among us. And though He tabernacled among us in flesh for 33 years, He now is among us by His Spirit in every child of God, everyone who believes in Him. Just before John 1, 14, we we read that it says that everyone who believes in him, he gave the right to become children of God. Everyone who believes in him, everyone who receives him, he gave the right to become children of God. And so we, we all of a sudden become the very, the very forerunners, the very ones that display Jesus and announce Jesus and prepare others for Jesus. Jesus. It has to be about that. Let me read to you then uh, some words of a man that preached over 100 years ago, Charles Spurgeon. And he said this. It is a wretched business for a man to call himself a Christian and have a soul which never peeps out from between his own ribs. I like the imagery. It is a wretched business for a man to call himself a Christian and have a soul which never peeps out from between his own ribs. It is horrible to be living just to be saved, living just to get to heaven, living just to enjoy religion, and yet never to bless others and to ease the misery of a moaning world. Do you not know that it is all nonsense? to regard religion as a selfish spiritual trade by which we save our own souls. It is useless to hope for peace until you know how to love. Unless your religion tears you away from yourself and makes you live for something nobler than even your own spiritual good, then you have not passed out of darkness into the light of God. Only the way of unselfishness is the way of peace. And he goes on to talk in his age uh, in London, England, about all the need of the poor. And he says, he says, "These are hard times. Let those who have more than they actually want or need be ready for relieving distress among those who urgently need it in the poor." You see, the point is, is that what, what Spurgeon is saying, and it applies to us today in Canada in the 21st century is that, that, that if our religion is just about us and us having Jesus and us going to heaven and us, then we've missed the point of Jesus altogether. You see, we've missed the point. It has to tear us away from ourselves to see that indeed we live for others. And so we become like John the Baptist who gave his life Just to announce to others and to prepare others to meet the one who was matchless in every way, Jesus Christ. He lived for that. I believe that the the role of the church is to be like the voice of John the Baptist. This voice of, of someone crying in the wilderness make straight the way for the Lord. That's the voice of the church today, isn't it? We're to be like John the Baptist. Prepare the way for the Lord. He's coming. Cry out in the wilderness of lusty materialism and gorging self-gratification. Cry out in the wilderness of terrorist rebels and terrified refugees. Cry out in the wilderness of broken-hearted loneliness as well as banal-headed levity. Cry out in the wilderness of casino gambling and talk show rambling. Cry out in the wilderness of shopping malls and dance halls. Cry out in the wilderness of both pro-choice and star-choice. Cry out in the wilderness where where priorities are misplaced and God is displaced. Cry out in the wilderness wherever human pride has blinded people to become such a generation that is self-absorbed but not self-aware. Cry out in this wilderness. And what shall we cry? Well, let's go back to the words where John the Baptist took his script in Isaiah 40. That all men are like grass, that all flesh is like grass, and all their glory like the flowers, the field. The grass withers because the breath of the Lord blows over it, and surely the people are like grass. The grass withers, the flowers fall, but the word of our God abides forever. The word of our God abides forever. And the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. He abides forever. You see, that's all that matters. The significance, the meaning that you attach to that birth and that death later on in his life is the most important thing about you. The word was made flesh and made his dwelling among us so that you and I also... Have you ever thought of it this way? That you and I were made flesh so also that he could make his dwelling among us. You and I were made flesh, and we were made deposits of the Holy Spirit. We were made containers. We have this treasure in jars of clay to show that there's surpassing glories, not from us, but from him. We are made flesh so that we might be carriers of the, of the Lord Jesus Christ, that, that we might tabernacle in this planet for a season of time, that we might pitch our tent on this earth just a little while and in so doing be in the middle of the camp of a wilderness of people that need to hear the lonely voice crying out in that wilderness, prepare for the way of the Lord. Make straight a path, a highway for our God. Every valley will be lifted up and every mountain will be made low and all flesh will see him together. You see... His first coming that we celebrate right now is, it should be a reminder of the very imminent return of His second coming. And our task as we labor, as we tarry on this earth yet a little while in this tabernacle ought to be to prepare a people ready to meet the Lord. And so as we conclude this, this morning, I want to challenge you to think about the fact that your, your occupation on this earth, your little space and time, your three-dimensional space that you fill up on planet earth, as you walk around in your life, that, that emptiness that you're filling is meant to fill the void of an emptiness in somebody else's life. The reason that you were made flesh was so that the Christ who lives in you could dwell among this people and announce his coming to this people. But you have to recognize, first of all, that he has to fill your emptiness before you can ever see that he'll fill anybody else's. You see, he has to be the real one for you that gives you eternal life and salvation. You have to be the first one to take the step to attach the significance to that birth and that death before you will ever be made the carrier of the one who is the living God in in you. Before you can ever fill the emptiness of someone else's life, you have to fill your own emptiness first. And God has said, I'll do that for you in my son Jesus Christ. I'll do that for you receive me. To as many as received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, filled with his grace. Just after John 1 14, in verse 16, John says, for from the fullness of his grace, we have all received one blessing after another. Have you received the blessing? This Christmas, as you celebrate this season of the year, are you certain that you've received the grace of God in Jesus Christ? You've received him. You've believed in his name. Now you are filled with his Holy Spirit. You are the carrier. You're the John the Baptist that can now go out into this wilderness and declare the name of the Lord. Have you done that? As we conclude our service, let me pray for you, and I'll ask the worship team to come now. And just before they sing a song, let me lead us in prayer. Let's pray. Well, Father God, we thank you for your word. And Lord, I think of this scripture that we've looked at this morning, how you, Lord, did not consider equality with your heavenly Father something to hang on to. But you made yourself nothing you entered our dirty and vulnerable and difficult and dark world you did not stay up in the transcendence of heaven you penetrated the darkness you came down you entered our pain but even as I think about I've been sick this past week and somehow it's made me in touch with my flesh my frailty you entered this world, O oh God, not insulated from all the things that, that we face, but very much understanding of our pain, of our susceptibility to illness and, and death, of our susceptibility to sin, temptation, tempted in all ways as we are, yet without sin. Jesus, matchless Son of God, we thank you for what you did. And uh, as we think about you, we recognize that our our greatest need is met in you. And so help us, Lord, to call out to to you, for you to fill the emptiness that is in our lives. And in so filling us, Lord, make us the ones that announce your coming and present you to others. Please use our lives this Christmas to do so. We pray in Jesus' name.